Well, a couple of you have asked me about that this, this morning and throughout the week, and so I wanted to give you a little bit of an update. Um, I've been having some, just some different heart issues and arrhythmias and uh, accelerated heartbeats and everything, and they tested me every way that they could test me. They strapped all sorts of things on me. I know some of you are smiling because you've done it too. And uh, this week, praise God, uh, I got a clean bill of health, and so God totally answered prayers for all of that. I was very, very scared about all of this, and um, why would I be? Uh, God is faithful, and so he doesn't heal every single person, but he healed me, and so I'm thankful. Uh, don't clap until the sermon's over. You may be like, uh, we were kind of hoping this was our exit plan. Um, just kidding. We're going to give our attention to the reading of God's Word from a very happy passage from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18, the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is God's Word. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, also known as the Apostle John, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and he believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is God's word. Let's go to him now in prayer. O oh Lord our God, we thank you for this 
beautiful, amazing story of resurrection and hope and joy and confusion and questions. We pray, Lord, that you would meet us this morning in our confusion, in our questions, whether we are filled with sorrow or like Mary was at first or filled with joy as she was when she saw Jesus. I pray that you would use your word to call us by name. Show us Jesus, for we ask in his name, amen. Once upon a time, there was a prosecutor in Texas. He worked in a little, grew up in a small town, and then he went to be a prosecutor in that same small town. Well, one day he was uh, prosecuting his very first case as an attorney, and he called his very first witness to the stand a little old lady that he'd known all of his life, a lady known as Miss Edna. Not knowing how to begin, before he wanted to get to the details of the case, he asked Miss Edna, he said, Now, uh, Miss Edna, have we ever met before? And she said, Oh, yes, we've met before. I've known you your entire life. You were rotten back then, and you are rotten today. You were always cussing and fighting and scamming and scheming, and frankly, I would not hire you to walk my dog. You must be the worst attorney in the entire state of Texas. Well, the attorney was a little bit flabbergasted what to say, so he kind of mumbled around a little bit. He realized he had broken the very first rule of lawyering, which is never ask a question unless you already know the answer to the question. So he said, uh, what about the defense attorney, Mr. Bradley? Have you ever met him before? She said, oh, yes, yes, I know him too, and frankly, he's worse than you. <laughs> when he was a little boy, he used to run through my yard, and he would steal the apples off my apple tree. He never goes to church. He does not pay his taxes. He's been married five times, and frankly, I don't think he could lawyer his way out of a wet paper sack. Well, at that, the crowd began to laugh a little bit and murmur a little bit, as some of you are doing this morning. And so the judge banged his gavel and said, Order in the court, order in the court. Attorneys, I want to see you up at the bench for a sidebar. So they approached the bench. The judge put his, cupped his hand over the microphone so no one else could hear him. And he said, I just want you both to know that if either one of you asked her if she knows me, I will throw you both in jail for contempt of court. The point is, there's nothing more important than a good witness. Good witnesses are honest and reliable and trustworthy. Good witnesses are willing to stand up and say, here's what I saw. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Good witnesses can hold up under intense questioning and cross-examining. Good witnesses can literally change lives. This morning, we're going to be talking about the first person to witness the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Her name is Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is one of the unsung heroes of the Bible, and it turns out she's also one of the most misunderstood people in the Bible, but we'll get to that in a minute. God could have picked 
anyone in the world to be the first witness to the resurrection. He could have picked uh, Peter, James, or John. They were his three closest apostles. He could have picked his mother, the Virgin Mary. He could have picked Joseph of Arimathea or Nicodemus. We met them last week as they took Jesus' body and helped bury him in Joseph's tomb. He could have picked Pontius Pilate. That would have been a massive uproar. Everyone would have believed if Pontius Pilate would have seen Jesus rise from the dead. But God didn't choose Pilate. And he didn't choose the Virgin Mary. And he didn't choose Peter, James, or John. He didn't choose Nicodemus or or, or Joseph of Arimathea. He chose Mary Magdalene. Why? Who was she? What did she see? What did she tell? And why does it matter? Now, in a sense, I'm preaching on really just one verse this morning, and really one word from one verse. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. That's it. That's the whole sermon. Mary. For the outline, we have eight big ideas. I know, I just double-crossed you. We went from a one-word sermon to an eight-point sermon. I promise we'll get to the restaurants before the Baptists and the Methodists. Don't worry about it. They will still have plenty of food left for you when you arrive at the restaurant of your choosing. Mary Magdalene, who was she? What did she see? What did she tell? Why does it still matter 2,000 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Let's take a closer look. The first big idea is this. Mary Magdalene was a woman. Now, I know what you're thinking. Thank you, Captain Obvious. Uh, Did you consult a commentary to arrive at this fact? Did you read a Tim Keller sermon and conclude that according to Tim Keller, uh, Mary Magdalene was a woman? Well, why is that significant? Two words, veracity and value. The fact that she was the first witness, the first witness of the resurrection was a woman, lends credibility to the story. Why? Because first century writers wouldn't have written it this way unless it happened this way. Here's what I mean. In the ancient world, women were often viewed very differently than they're viewed in the modern world. In the ancient world, women were generally believed to be untrustworthy, unreliable. They would say, oh, you can't trust a woman, they're, they're irrational, they're hysterical. That was the prevailing belief. And because it was the prevailing belief, women were not allowed to testify as witnesses in a a trial, in a court of law. And so if you were accused of a crime and the only witness against you was a woman, you just, there wouldn't even be a trial. You just automatically go free because, again, in the ancient world, a woman as a witness was the same as no witness at all. So why would John, as he writes this gospel, include this, at the time, embarrassing detail? Why wouldn't he rewrite the story so that he could be the first witness? He seems very intent on letting us know that he outran Peter to the tomb, so why wouldn't he make himself the hero of the story? I outran Peter, and I went in, and I saw him there, and... He even includes the fact that he was the first to believe. So why would he do it this way? Well, because this is a true story. 
It's not a myth, it's not a legend, and in true stories, there are often inconvenient, uncomfortable, embarrassing details. In true stories, you include the fact that John, the apostle, was the only one of all the apostles who was present when Jesus died on the cross. That, that's an embarrassing detail. What kind of religious leader has all of his apostles abandoned him except John at the moment where he needs them the most? In true stories, you include the detail that Peter, who went on to become the rock of the church, one of the most important apostles, denied Jesus three times at the moment of decision. You include that detail. In true stories, you include the embarrassing, seemingly discrediting detail that the first witness to the resurrection was a woman named Mary Magdalene. So that's our first word, veracity. The fact that a woman, Mary Magdalene, saw Jesus first adds to the truthfulness of the account because you would never include that detail unless it happened exactly like this. Our second word is value. The fact that Mary Magdalene, a woman, was the first person to witness Jesus Christ on the first Easter Sunday when he rose from the dead points to the fact that God always has and always will value the role of women in the church. Women are not second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. Women have always played and will always play key roles in the history of redemption. God's story of covenant faithfulness that runs from Genesis to Revelation, or as a friend of mine used to say, from Genesis to maps. Those pages at the end of the Bible that no one reads, he shows his covenant faithfulness there too. Where would we be without Eve? Yes, she sinned. And and with Adam brought sin into the world, but Eve is the mother of us all. Where would we be without Sarah, the wife of Abraham? Where would we be without Deborah, the judge? Where would we be without Ruth or Hannah or Esther? Where would we be without the Virgin Mary or her cousin Elizabeth? Where would our church be without faithful, godly, talented, wise, capable women of faith. Now, are men and women identical? No. Are men and women interchangeable? Also, no. Are women indispensable? The answer is yes. Yes and amen from the lips of Jesus himself. Women, young and old, We do not need you on the sidelines. We need you. The church needs you. The world needs you. We need you to write books. We need you to write and lead and teach Bible studies. We need your compassion, your wisdom, your insight, your musical gifts. Now, at the risk of saying something very politically incorrect, frankly, I think our sewing ministry would collapse without you. If we put the guys in charge of the sewing ministry for Safe Harbor, we'd just be giving those ladies a bunch of uh, pillowcases stuffed with wood shavings. And nobody wants that. Mary Magdalene was a woman, the first woman, to witness the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Second big idea, 
Mary Magdalene was a misunderstood woman. If you search for Mary Magdalene on the internet, you'll find a lot of uh, confusion and nonsense and falderall. I won't get into all the misinformation out there, but I want to point out one big misunderstanding, because it's a pretty common misunderstanding that people in the church make. People often confuse Mary Magdalene with Mary from Bethany, who we met in John chapter 12 and who is spoken about in Luke 7. Mary from Bethany famously anointed Jesus for his burial by pouring expensive perfume on his head and then washing his feet with her hair. Luke and John tell us that that she did this to prepare Jesus for his burial. It was in many ways a prophetic act. It was almost a a sacrament, a visible, visible, holy sign and seal of what was to come. Luke tells us that Mary from Bethany had a a bad reputation. She says that she was a notorious sinner. And so many people have confused the two Marys and assigned uh, negative qualities to Mary Magdalene. The point is that Mary, our Mary, was not a notorious sinner. She was not a prostitute. And while we're at it, I don't think that Mary of Bethany was a prostitute either. But that's another sermon for another day. And so the point is, if you have ever been lied about, if you've ever been misunderstood or slandered or misrepresented, you are not alone. That happened to Mary Magdalene, and she was chosen by God to be the very first witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. No matter what people say about you, no matter whatever misunderstandings that people might have about you or whatever misrepresentations people may have about you, God knows the truth. God knows who you are. Third big idea, Mary Magdalene did have a checkered past. According to Mark 16 and Luke 8, when Jesus met Mary Magdalene, she was possessed by seven demons. Now, being possessed by one demon would be bad enough, but she was possessed by seven demons. Luke 8. Soon afterwards, Jesus went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve apostles were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, including Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Now, what happened? How did Mary Magdalene get possessed by seven demons? That's not something that just sort of happens accidentally. My best guess is that she was practicing witchcraft. She was invoking the names of angels and demons in order to help her friends and to punish or curse her enemies. That sort of thing still does happen in the modern world. It's more common in the third world than the first world, but it was very, very common in the ancient world. Back then, many people practiced sorcery and witchcraft. It was very common. Now, because she had done this, likely Mary had invoked the demonic world. They had come to her, they had possessed her, and she was stuck. She was incapacitated. She was, spiritually speaking, paralyzed until Jesus came and healed her, driving out the demons and setting her free. He redeemed her, body and soul, by setting her free from the powers of darkness through faith in Jesus Christ, 
her Lord and Savior, Mary Magdalene, was born again. Now, I don't know about you, but I have done many, many sinful things in my life. I have never been involved in sorcery or witchcraft. I've never been involved with Ouija boards or tarot cards or fortune tellers. All that stuff is very terrifying to me, frankly. When I was a little kid, I made the mistake. Somehow we were left unsupervised, and I watched Poltergeist on HBO. Have you ever seen this movie? Absolutely terrifying. I want nothing to do with demons or devils or ghosts. I... People named Carol Ann walk into the light. If you've got an unfinished swimming pool in your backyard, I'm not coming over until you're done because that thing might just be a portal to the gates of hell, all right? I'm freaked out about all that stuff. But here's the truth. Satan didn't need to possess me. I willingly joined his team. I, I, I was not captured by demons I was a deserter. I went over to, to Satan's side on my own in rebellion against God. That's worse than what happened to Mary Magdalene. And yet, here I am, the least likely convert, preaching the gospel to you. Why? Because what happened to Mary Magdalene happened to me. I met Jesus Christ. He called me by name, and I was born again. Presbyterians aren't supposed to have patron saints. It's kind of not something that we do. But if we did, mine would be Mary Magdalene. And I think many of you could say the same thing. Mary Magdalene shows us that Jesus can change people's lives, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. Jesus can come to you like he came to Mary Magdalene. And if Mary Magdalene can be born again, and if I can be born again, then you can be born again, and anyone can be born again. If you are alive and breathing, it's never too late. Fourth big idea, Mary Magdalene was a thoughtful woman. Mary considered the, the evidence for the resurrection before she believed. First, she saw the stone was rolled away from the entrance to the tomb. That was her first clue that something strange was happening. They used to seal tombs back then. People were buried above ground, usually in caves, and then they would put a giant stone wheel in front of the cave. Some have suggested it's more like a cork where they kind of plugged the hole to the tomb. Well, Mary came to where Jesus was buried. Everyone knew where he was buried, and that stone was now gone, and the, the tomb was wide open. That was her first clue. Second, she called for Peter and John, and when Peter and John arrived, they saw that Jesus' body was gone. They saw his grave clothes. He's essentially been wrapped tightly, almost like a mummy in grave clothes. Those grave, grave clothes were gone. They saw it. They were folded up neatly. A little face cloth, which had been over his face, was folded up neatly. Now, I don't know about you. I mean, just think about that. Imagine going to the tomb of someone that you love, someone that you absolutely know is dead and in the grave, and seeing the clothes that that person was wearing the day that you buried them folded on top of their headstone. Can you imagine that? I would have been totally freaking out if I saw something like that. I'd call everybody. I'd call Kate. I'd call 
the elders, I'd call him maybe an exorcist. I don't know. What happened here? It's totally amazing. Third, after Peter and John left, Mary saw two angels who asked her, why are you weeping? Now, I don't think it's an accusatory question. I don't think they have any kind of motive other than to say, don't you remember what Jesus said? He told them very clearly, I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise again, and now you're here, and he's risen from the dead. Of course he is, just like he said that he would do. Later, she actually talks to Jesus. First, she doesn't recognize him. She thinks it's the gardener or the groundskeeper or somebody else who maybe moved the body. She's not sure. I think some have unfairly criticized Mary Magdalene for being slow to believe. Why didn't she believe immediately? Why didn't she believe when she saw the stone rolled away? Why didn't she believe when there was no body? Why didn't she believe when she was talking to this person? And, and why didn't she recognize that she was talking to Jesus? What more proof do you need to see? I think she was thinking. I think she was considering the evidence. She was trying to put all the puzzle pieces together and that's not a weakness or a character flaw. That's actually a good thing. Saving faith is thinking faith. We don't turn off our brains when we become Christians. We start to engage our minds and our thinking, our critical thinking processes in new ways when we become Christians. Sometimes saving faith clicks on like a, a light switch. Just boom, instant faith. You went from unbelief to belief in a moment. Sometimes, saving faith is like a sunrise. It's slow. It's gradual. The light grows brighter and brighter, almost imperceptibly, until the whole sky is filled with the brightness of the glory of God. Now, if you're a believer, and I think most of you are believers then let me encourage you to be patient with your unbelieving friends. Let me encourage you to be patient with your unbelieving children and grandchildren. If you're not yet a believer, be patient with yourself. Now, don't wait forever. There's, all of us are going to die and see God face to face, and we don't know when that will be, so I'm not encouraging you to just sort of take your time about this, but I am encouraging you to be thoughtful. I am encouraging you to build strong foundations of your faith by knowing who Jesus is and what he did and why it matters. It's important. Sometimes that takes a minute or two. Sometimes it takes a decade or two. It takes as long as it takes. Maybe the Apostle Peter had someone like Mary Magdalene in mind when he wrote this. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day, as is, as is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Maybe Jesus is talking to you right now, and you don't even know it. Maybe you think you're talking to the gardener, or the gardener is talking to you. Maybe Jesus is waiting for the perfect moment to call you by name. 
Even if it takes a little while, it was worth the wait for Mary, and it will be worth the wait for you. Fifth big idea, Mary Magdalene was a tenacious woman. Verse 10, then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Peter and John went home. John got home first. He'd want me to tell you that. But Mary didn't go home. She waited to see Jesus. I think tenacity is underrated. I think a big part of spiritual growth is just showing up time after time again and saying, I'm not going anywhere until I see Jesus. If I miss him in worship service this week, guess what? I'm coming back next week. And if I open my Bible and do my devotions in the morning and I read and I don't see Jesus, I'm going to keep reading until I see Jesus. And if I pray and ask God to help me and I don't see his help, I'm going to keep asking and I'm going to keep praying until I sense that Jesus is helping me. I'm not going anywhere. I think we give up too quickly. I know I do. But when we do, we miss Jesus. Think of the joy that Peter and John missed, all because they they left home. They went home early. And yet many of us run out of here after the worship service like our cars are on fire, like Sonny's is going to run out of ribs. They're not. They got plenty of ribs there. If you arrive five minutes late, it'll be okay. I think if Mary Magdalene worshipped here, she would be the last one out the door. She'd come back week after week and she'd say, I'm not leaving until I see Jesus. She was a tenacious disciple. Are you? Sixth big idea. Mary Magdalene was an emotional woman. Mary knew how to express her emotions in powerful, helpful, authentic ways. Four times in verses 11 through 15, we're told that Mary cried, she wept, and not one time does anyone tell her to stop. Not Jesus, not the angels, not the uh, Peter or John. Tom Hanks does not make an appearance to say there's no crying at Easter. They ask her why she's weeping, but they never say, stop it. Bottle your emotions. Don't let anyone know how you feel. We need to get rid of the idea that only weak people cry. That's simply not true. Mary Magdalene cried. She's one of the strongest people in the whole Bible. In this story, she's stronger than Peter and John, two of Jesus' closest disciples. Jesus cried, and he was the strongest person in the history of the world. It's every nine-year-old's favorite memory verse. Jesus wept. We need to remember that. And frankly, whatever worshiping with reverence and awe means, whether it's silence, whether it's being quiet before the Lord, it also means weeping. It means laughter, and it means tears, and it means head bobbing and foot tapping. That's the way Presbyterians dance. I'm doing it right now. I'm like David, I'm dancing before the Lord, okay? (laughs) When we honor God with our emotions, there's holiness there. When we offer God all that we have, including our, our deepest feelings and vulnerabilities, 
We honor God, and we also honor Mary Magdalene, the first witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Seventh big idea, Mary Magdalene saw Jesus when Jesus said her name. The moment Jesus said Mary's name, the scales fell from her eyes, and she believed. If you are a Christian, Jesus knows your name. Now, that's especially important to me because a lot of people don't know my name, especially my last name, Treak, Trake, Trick. I've heard it all. Sometimes I go to, to Starbucks, uh, they write Scort on the cup. Uh, because of my resemblance to cantonment legend Mercer Scort. But I'll tell you what, Jesus knows who I am. Jesus knows my name. Jesus died on the cross for me. And Jesus rose from the dead for me. And if you believe in Jesus, he knows you too. He knows your name. He, your name is graven on his hands. Your name is written on his heart. That's what grace is. In spite of our sin, in spite of our failures, Jesus knows our name. If you believe in Jesus, if you've repented of your sin and look to Jesus in faith, you are known and you are loved and you are forgiven because of what Jesus did for you. The resurrection is proof that God will never forget our names if you have been united to Jesus by faith, your name is written in the book of life. And it's even spelled correctly. Eighth big idea, last one. Mary Magdalene became an evangelist. You can witness something by simply observing it, but you don't become a witness in the legal sense until you testify about what you've seen. That's what Mary did at the end of the story. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Now, we're going to talk about these, some of this a little bit more next week when we talk about our World Missions account week, Encounter Weekend. But what a simple, beautiful way to share the hope that we have in Jesus. I have seen the Lord. If you're a Christian, do you know that you have seen the Lord you have seen the Lord, not physically, but you've seen him in the pages of Scripture. You have seen the Lord as you've been part of God's community, which the Bible calls the body of Christ. You have heard his voice as you've prayed. You've felt his love as you've worshipped with the people of God. Don't keep that to yourself. Go tell somebody, go tell anybody I have seen the Lord, and then tell them exactly who you saw and what it means and why it matters. That's the story of the very first witness, Mary Magdalene, first witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. She saw the face of her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. She believed in him, and her life was never the same. And my word to all of you this morning is, if you see the face of Jesus, 
if you meet him in all of his glory and his grace, if you say, teacher, Rabboni, my Lord and my God, then you too will have your life completely transformed. Have you seen him? Do you believe? Let's go to God in prayer. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing story of the resurrection, and we thank you and praise you for Mary Magdalene. Thank you, Lord, that she is our mother in the faith. Thank you that she is our sister in Christ. Lord, what a joy it will be to meet her face to face when we see her in heaven. What a hope that we will have when we all have resurrected bodies like Jesus did. Until that day, Lord, we ask that you would strengthen us. We ask that you would encourage us. I pray, Lord God, that with all that we are, body and soul, we would praise your magnificent and wonderful name and that we would tell the world, we have seen the Lord. Change us, Lord God, from the inside out. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.